Welcome back to another episode of the Big Freedom Show. I'm one of your hosts, Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, the King himself, John King. Not with us tonight is Nate Anomics, Nate Thurston. We tried we so hard. We, we, we tried did. Skype, FaceTime. It's not his fault. Almost two hours before the show, guys. We're, we're running a little behind, and we miss you tonight, Nate. But unfortunately, he can't be here. He's a capitalist. He's out working to the bone. With his, I mean, his finger's still not better, but he's out there grinding. He'll be back next week, though. He'll be full of turkey, cheerful. He will. You know what? I almost forgot Thanksgiving is in two days, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing anything cool? Uh, we've got some plans tomorrow night, and then, yeah, I think we've got like three meals on Thursday. Even though we had one last Friday, it's going to be delicious. Yeah, we're doing like a little bit of a Friendsgiving thing around here, and that's should be should be a lot of fun. Little little different vibe than the family thing. Yeah, that's good though. Friendsgiving's fun. That's kind of a new concept, right? I, I, yeah, it is. And, I, and I've got to add one thing that my wife does that's amazing. She thinks that turkeys are often cold, and so she crafts a bacon blanket and weaves it over the turkey, mm. which makes turkey a whole different thing. So I, I'd strongly suggest you try it. I'll be here this weekend for leftovers, then, John. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. The gravy is next level. That brings us to this week's. Whiskey of the week. What do we have, John, that I purchased and you brought? <laughs> yeah, he, he financed it, sent me to the store because he uh, he was in the in the office today. We've got Wild Turkey Rare Breed, which clocks in at 112 proof, so not going to be a lot of sipping on this whiskey of the week. The show would probably suffer. Really cool flavor. It is. It's, it's kind of, I mean, obviously with 112, it's a little spicy. But the vanilla, she's coming in hot. The vanilla is good and it's nice and smooth. Um, I really dig it. Yeah, it, it's probably my top two that we've done so far. I thought I like it a little less than some others, so I'm probably going to give it a seven. But it's still a great whiskey. I'm going to give it an eight. Uh, I, I would give it higher, but at its price point, this this bottle was they they had it mistagged, so we got it about five dollars off. But usually a forty five dollar bottle, meh. <laughs> Not for forty five bucks. I'd put it at like thirty five. So, but it's worth a try. So if you have the chance, go out and get yourself some Wild Turkey Rare Breed Single Barrel, guys. We want to first start off this episode by thanking you. We have hit a milestone of over hundred downloads, one hundred and fifteen to be exact today. So, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, the show survives on you listening. We love coming here and doing this for you every week. So it continues to make us want to come back. So we appreciate all the love. Charlie and I are having a little bit of a flashback. Episode one, which will probably never see the light of day. Probably uh, not. Nate couldn't be here for that either. And, and we, we flailed through it. It had good moments followed by just awfulness. But it was fun. It was fun. We, we got our feet wet and here we are now. We're up to episode eight, and uh, we're going to keep firing at you guys. So, And shout out to whoever's listening in Germany. We think that's pretty cool. We've got uh, some cool locations. California. I saw Nevada this morning. Virginia. Yeah. So Keep listening. Subscribe, please. All right. We're going to dive right in to the main topic right now. There is a huge merger trying to take place. AT&T is trying to take over or or merge with Time Warner. In this case, AT&T is trying to buy out trying to Time buy Warner. It. Right. And uh, Trump's Department of Justice has filed a lawsuit to stop this. And you would think Trump's a big business guy. What's going on? Whenever we started talking about this, 
I was kind of like, maybe we should break this down to why on earth would our government be suing any company? Because that doesn't really make any sense to me. So I sort of went back to the history of antitrust, which it all kind of goes back to 1890 in the Sherman Antitrust Act. Um, they, they lovingly call it Sherman's Hammer in the business <laughs> world, which basically means if you start to be too successful, the hammer of government comes in to break things up. You know, that's crazy because, uh, first of all, we want to tell you that we, we all do our own research here, so we don't... And we, we don't, don't share it beforehand. We don't share it, and we think that's important, but what's funny, you bring that up, because I went in history, too, when it comes to companies exploding and getting what the government calls too big, and I took it all the way back to Cornelius Vanderbilt. There's a great book out there called The First Tycoon, which is the biography of Cornelius Vanderbilt, massively successful businessman. He started out, one of his companies was he was running a ferry in New York City uh, between New York and Jersey and was running a ferry between the islands there. And what he did is he operated his company at a loss so that he could push out all of his competitors. And when all of his competitors left and he was the only ferry, he would jack up the price. And then once he jacked up the price... More ferries would come in, create more competition. The price would lower. And so with that, I'm saying that to start this off with, there is no need for government when it comes to business because the market has proven throughout history and with time that, yes, companies can rise to what you would consider a monopoly if they're the only one, but the consumer always benefits because when the price gets too high, what happens? People move in. I think we could even go to what's the definition of a monopoly. You know, we love the game. Right. Everybody loves the game. But, you know, Webster says it's the exclusive possession or control of the supply or trade in a commodity or service. And I would argue the only way that's possible is through government coercion. That's where I was going to go is that technically a real monopoly almost can't exist without the government somehow stepping in and giving an unfair advantage to one party or another. Exactly. You could look back. So the 1890s is when it started, but really there was some huge antitrust lawsuits in the 1920s where there was some violence and some other things happening with these large companies. What's crazy is because of the 1890 Antitrust Act that was passed, government started out with this regulation, which caused some of this, and then they tried to use regulation to correct it. And that's what every time government tries to, they create these problems, and then they, they're the ones that have to come in later and say, oh, we have to fix this. Let us be the you know big, bad, awesome government that One we are. One of the most notable ones was AT&T which was subsidized and given a, a monopoly on the telecommunications industry. And then eventually they came in and broke them up into what they called the baby bells. So around here we had Bell South. Right. Um, and, and one of the things that was really interesting was there were some surveys done and things like that after they broke up the bells. And because of all of the inefficiency that was created, because they may, you know, all of a sudden you have to have eight of everything where there was one customer service and quality of service just like went down the tubes. And that was created because of the government subsidizing that company. That couldn't have happened had the government not come in and put their finger on the scale. And you probably would have seen a lot more competition, you know, back in the day that would have, we could be, we could, I'm kind of pissed because we could be further advanced. <laughs> Absolutely. This even kind of ties into our other story of the day, which is net neutrality, but we'll, we'll jump to that in a minute. I would want to say, what's good about monopolies? There can be some good things about monopolies because if, 
somebody is an expert in their field, right? And they're the only ones that know how to do it the most efficient and best way possible. Then they beat out their competitors in a free market. We talked about this on the last show, right? A free market is voluntary transactions. When I go to the coffee shop, like I said, and I purchase a coffee and I say, thank you. They say, thank you back. We both become richer because they have to prove to me that that coffee is worth more than the dollars that I'm giving them. And so in a free market with competition, monopolies can only exist if they're providing the best value possible. And they do that by creating efficiency right? through what we would call vertical integration. Look at Rockefeller. That's another amazing story. I mean, this is a guy who came in, obviously oil became massive, and this guy not only, he didn't create a monopoly because he was trying to just steal money from everybody and be the only guy there, but he, he came in and he said, hey, how many uh, ratchets or whatever they use to close the barrels, how many, of the, how many do we need on a barrel of oil? And at the time, they used like 30, and he said, well, Let's keep reducing that number until we figure out how we can still seal the bo- the barrel of oil without spending so much money on just the the clasp. And I think it got down to like 13 or 14 and he ended up saving hundreds of thousands of dollars which back then was a massive amount of money. Yeah, and, and another thing about monopolies is they're able to take risks that normal companies just couldn't do. Um you know, if you have a, a company that's trying to build a railway that's going to connect everything Um, that company can come in and and take a loss on this one bridge that's required to make the whole system work. They can move mountains. And smaller companies just aren't capable of doing that. Well, and plus, they probably took a lot of risk at the beginning to to build up to where they were. So nobody was there at the beginning if they were to fail to bail them out. And if people were to describe the bad things about a monopoly, they're going to go in and talk about what you said initially about you know, okay, you go in, you bankrupt all your competitors, and then you scalp the consumer. That doesn't happen. The free market has a check on that, which is as soon as prices get high enough, other people move in. Especially in 2017 with as connected as we are. it's. I would say it's virtually impossible to have a monopoly without government. I, I think, you know, like, for example, with oil and everything right now, that's that's a great example of how things work. Whenever the price comes up, In America, we have all of these rigs that are ready to go online with shale oil. Price goes up. All of a sudden, rigs come online. OPEC's not important anymore. Yeah, I had a friend. They had family in North Dakota with all this fracking. So when oil was really high and fracking made sense because it's a more expensive way to extract oil. But when the price is so high and it makes sense, I have friends, family in North Dakota that they got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for their land because they had oil on it. Oh, yeah. I, I remember talking to uh, one of my wife's cousins, and she said that basically there were whenever the oil booms would come in, hotels would convert to efficiency apartments, and, and a room would be all of a sudden three or $4,000 a month because all of these guys, everybody's making a couple hundred grand to work at these oil rigs, and right. it's amazing for everyone. I want to put another spin on this, and typically we don't really do speculation here at the Big Freedom Show, but this is coming from the horse's mouth. Uh, the CEO of AT&T, Stevenson, in a CNN Money article said, there's been a lot of reporting and speculation whether this is all about CNN, and frankly, I don't know. But nobody should be surprised that the question keeps coming up because we've been witnessing such an abrupt change in the application of antitrust law here. So essentially what Stevenson is saying is that Trump is trying to block this because he hates CNN. 
What what about that spin? I mean, it's Trump. It's possible. I mean, the guy's a bully. He is. Have you read his Twitter feed? If you don't think he's a bully, read his I'm Twitter feed. I'm not really feed. sure if he's ever read the Constitution either. It's doubtful. Probably. <laughs> but think think about, I mean, how powerful can you be as a president of the United States to be like, yeah, CNN's fake news and I hate him. You know, Time Warner owns them currently and he doesn't want you know, then to be bought out by AT&T is just trying to screw them over any way he can. I mean, and, and especially when you look at the history, which is kind of why we went down memory lane there, what the Department of Justice typically goes in for is what they would call horizontal integration. Vertical integration is whenever you buy, let's say that you're shipping oil and you buy the, you know, you buy the railway that you ship your oil on because then you're able to bring your cost down because you eliminate that markup in the middle. The Department of Justice has never messed with that because you're not eliminating any competition. What they get involved in, whether we think it's good or bad, is what they call horizontal integration. That's basically going in and eating up your competitors. So Circuit City buying Best Buy. Oh, wait, I went the wrong way on that, and that didn't happen. But you know what I mean? It's, it's essentially when you're eliminating competition, reducing choices. That's traditionally been when the DOJ has gotten involved. This doesn't really show anything about that. They're buying a content provider. And, I, and you could also argue that the future is going to be so different. There's a reason why Facebook and Netflix and Google, YouTube, all these other media companies exist. And I have a lot of friends that have completely turned off cable and they've gone to Netflix. I mean, Netflix is worth $80 billion. How did that happen? Free market. The free market. That, that's the only way that happened because people got tired of paying high prices for cable and being stuck with essentially, you know, one or two. I think there's maybe three major companies that control cable. And so you could argue that there's a slight monopoly. But the only way that that monopoly has existed is because there's such heavy regulation on the telecommunications. And so what happens the beauty of the internet, and like John said, we're going to go into net neutrality here. Yeah, they tie in beautifully. The beauty of the internet <laughs> brought us Google and Facebook and Netflix and Hulu and all these other companies that are competing with these massive cable companies. And like I said, Netflix is worth $80 billion and they got there for a reason. And if you look at your Facebook app, I don't know if you noticed, but they started episodes on there, so you know Facebook is moving towards TV, maybe short films aren't, or aren't something they carrying like that. Like NFL games now too. Facebook is. I think Amazon streams some. They're or definitely YouTube. both picking up sporting events. I know YouTube was was streaming this uh, World Series, I believe. Which seems so weird for us because traditionally these are technology companies. We're like, why are you trying to stream us the Super Bowl? But this is what happens in a free market. The future is undetermined, and you can't go off these archaic laws. That the government has no way to see in the future and see what the free market is actually going to do to bring us the things that we need. The weird political angle that you brought up earlier is the speculation is basically that because Donald Trump hates CNN so much that if Time Warner were owned by AT&T that they might then block the other cable networks. So for Donald Trump, he sees Fox News as his only viable outlet. Um, I, I would say Fox News loves Donald Trump a little too much. Um, and then CNN and MSNBC are on the opposite side of that. And so what he's ticked off about is 
that they could potentially shut the pipe down on the other viewpoints since now the news is so politicized versus being actual journalism. And we don't know that to be true. Of course, this is all no, speculation. This is the speculation, but... and this is what they're getting mad about because they look at it and say, look, this is vertical integration. Why do you care? And it is a little weird. I think Stevenson makes a good point. The CEO of AT&T said, if you look at the history of antitrust, nothing even close to this has been... I, I, well, it was, what, four years ago that the Obama administration had nothing to say about Comcast buying NBC Universal. This is even probably a clearer cut merger than that. It, it's very suspect, questionable. And I would say just to close this out, a quote from Isabel Patterson, and she said, government cannot restore competition or ensure it. Government is a monopoly. And all it can do is impose restrictions which may issue a monopoly. When they go so far as to require permission for the individual to engage in production, this is the essence of society of status. The reversion to status law and the antitrust legislation went unnoticed. The politicians had secured a law under which it is possible for the citizen to know beforehand what constituted a crime, and which therefore made all productive effort liable to prosecution, if not to a certain conviction. What she's saying there is that companies, they have to provide a value to you. They don't act out of, for the most part, they don't act nefariously no. to commit crimes to steal your money. The way that they become rich and successful is by providing the most value to the most amount of consumers. And the only way a real monopoly can exist is if the government's coming in and giving an unfair advantage to a company. If they're putting their finger on the scale and saying, you know what, AT&T, you've got our money. Nobody else can compete with you. That's a monopoly. Otherwise, someone's always going to find a better way and the monopoly is going to be broken up. That's what competition does. And the reason why government can do that is because they have the monopoly on force. They're the only ones that can legally show up to your house with guns and take things from and you. Take things from you. <laughs> we won't even go into civil asset forfeiture. That's a whole nother yeah, episode. We need Nate around for that one. Yes. I, I feel like we're, we're going in a little lean without Nate. But we were talking about Netflix and Google, Amazon, those massive internet companies that came about. And this brings us right into net neutrality. And I want to start this off by saying the only reason why those companies exist is because of the freedom that we had with the internet. It is literally the closest thing to an absolute free market that we have. It's been the absolute biggest economic explosion that's happened, at least in my lifetime, by a long shot. And it happened because the government, first of all, didn't understand it. And then as a result, couldn't regulate it. And then all these companies came in and was like, hey, we understand it. We know what to do. We can create efficiencies. We can create businesses. And then you see the richest man on earth now, or the, or the highest net worth is Jeff Bezos, who created Amazon 16 years ago. Yeah. Who would have thought books are cool, but we had no idea what he had in his mind. And that's just amazing to me that this level of opportunity exists in this day and age because of what you could call the freest market that we have and what, and, and I know that I guess a lot of liberty minded people that I know, they're all for net neutrality because they, they think that 
internet service providers just want to charge consumers more money. That's one of the things that I noted. And when you start digging into this, whatever spin doctor came up with the name net neutrality needs to win an award for the most misleading moniker. Genius. Yeah, because it's basically an inversion of truth. It's like the Freedom Act or Patriot Act. <laughs> right. right. That t- takes away your rights, but they're going to name it. We're free to look in on you. Right. So I kind of wanted to break out what net neutrality actually is, because if you go to a website that's, you know, really this whole movement for net neutrality, and it was a big populist movement a few years ago, it was brought on by these big, massive companies. They were brought on by Netflix, Facebook, Google, pretty much all of the huge tech content and social network providers. And really, you kind of go, well, why is this such a big deal for them? They they spun it as, we want the internet to remain neutral, but that's not really what they wanted at all. (laughs) No, I read an article in Wired that talked about five years ago, whenever this all kind of really got started. I mean, the FCC has been looking to do this for the last 10 to 15 years. And five years ago, right before, you know, Obama kind of, Passed these, or, or Obama's administration with the FCC passed these, these net neutrality regulations. You know, five years ago, Google was the biggest lobby for it. They were all about shutting down these evil internet service providers. Do you remember Save the Internet? That was a thing. Like the internet was struggling. They had all these things, and it was like, if, if we don't get involved, the internet's going to be just a wasteland. And The reality was the government was never involved. And the reason why these companies want to do this is because it it obviously, if you think about how corporations gain power and they continue this crony capitalism that we've talked about before, the only way that's possible is through government regulation. So what Google and Facebook and Apple and these companies, as much as we love them, They're just like anyone else. They look out for their own separate interests. And what do you do? The easiest way is to use government coercion to pass regulations that hurts your competition. That's how they stay big and powerful and create these monopolies is by doing that. If you want to talk about a disparity of wealth, there you go. That's how it happens. It's not by lack of opportunity. It's once again, government comes in, puts their finger on the scale, throws their lot in with some particular camp, and everyone else loses. And really what spawned this story, or what spawned us talking about this, was in the news, Trump's newly appointed FCC chair, he's going to bring up for a vote, rolling back the net neutrality regulations. They've only been in place since 2014. The government was literally not involved in the internet prior to that. I was talking to a friend who's much smarter than me. If he were here, it wouldn't look good. Charlie and I would be splatter on the table here. You know, I, I was bringing up sort of the freedom angle of why is the government even involved in this? What he was bringing up was basically that this is sort of a weird situation because the government has been involved. They've limited the number of service providers. And so... Not to jump ahead, but my argument initially would be, look, everything should be open. People should be free to negotiate what they want to negotiate. But what do we do in an area where there isn't choice? There's these weird lobbied laws about accessing telephone poles. What are you going to do? You can't put two telephone poles up if a new company wants to come in. And that's why this is such a weird quagmire of what do you do? Because it's not a free market right now. The government's got its fingers in it. A weird crony capitalist free market. We're stuck with a few options and big cities, a few more. 
But, you know, for example, where I grew up, and probably the same for you, you basically had one internet provider option. And that's where this all gets kind of weird. I would say the internet itself is probably is, is the free market, but how you access that internet has, has not been a free market. And that, that's what we said earlier when, when we were talking uh, in our last segment is that the government has created this problem and now it wants to create more regulations to try and quote unquote fix it. And if we want to break out what they were doing, there were companies that would pay. Let's say you have Comcast as an internet provider. What happened was Comcast is giving, they're giving unlimited internet for $69 a month. Well, all of a sudden you have a company like Netflix roll in that is just choking their infrastructure up. This is complex. Obviously you can pay for more speed and that's, that's already an option for you. But as a whole, the network choked down because all of a sudden they went from serving up pictures to serving up 4K images. And so companies like Netflix or Facebook would basically, uh, Comcast would go in and say, look, if you want this coming through at top speed, because we, otherwise we're going to have to slow your stuff down to keep the rest of the internet working. And so they would go into agreements and it was basically like a prioritization. So if a Netflix request came through, it was going to stay at the top of the line, no matter what. And what net neutrality did was, and this was the really slick move. It's like, here, we want to keep freedom. Well, what that was, was basically Netflix and these other big companies, and I keep calling them out because they're the easy case study to look at. They didn't want to pay those fees anymore. So Comcast is having to expend capital and build things out to accommodate Netflix because they built their networks for pictures, not video. They're getting a a little bit of a kickback from Netflix so they can keep spending money, investing in capital costs and building the infrastructure out. Netflix is like, I don't want to keep paying that. And so are all these other companies. And so they create this huge groundswell under the guise of internet freedom. And that's where we got net neutrality a couple years ago. It's great for Netflix, great for Facebook, great for Google, not really great for all of us. And the thing about it is, is that it's not going to affect the consumer like they're making you out to believe. Net neutrality makes America believe that the, if we don't have these regulations in place, the consumer is going to lose. And that's not true because guess what's happened? Small business people and you, you're not sending terabytes of data over the internet. Netflix is. Google is. Facebook is. They send. And that was the hilarious part was that one of the arguments was this is unfair to small business. How do you compete? And it's like, this wasn't really affecting small business. If And I don't know what the particular agreements were, but let's say that Netflix was having to pay $100 million to have their packets up at the top of the list. If I start a new company, you know how much that's going to cost me? And I'm moving a couple of terabytes around, maybe a couple hundred bucks a month. It's not, it's not a barrier to entry. This is really just a great PR campaign. And for the consumer at home, I guarantee you probably, you might use one terabyte the entire year, right? Uh, I mean, I'm, to, I, to I, be honest, I, my I use, family, we use about 300 gigabytes a month. We use about 75. Nate uses about 42 terabytes. And I know this because once again, we're on a cell phone plan together and he uses more data than our entire seven member cell phone plan (laughs) combined. I don't know how he does it. I think he leaves it running while he sleeps, but well, to think about, I mean, contrast that. I don't, and I wish I had, I wish I would have pulled up the exact numbers, but I guarantee you it's 
closer to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of terabytes for companies like Netflix and Google. I mean, I'm pretty sure Google processes a terabyte of data every minute. Is that right? I don't have the stat in front of me, but that sounds completely plausible. And and one of the things that I had sort of broken out here was just that content providers are always going to compete to provide the best experience for people if you allow the free market. And so a lot of people, you know, it's not a one size fits all. A lot of times, let's say Vimeo, which is a, for some of you that don't know, it's a competitor to YouTube, much smaller, probably one one hundredth the size. What if they want to compete and to do that, they want to enter exclusive agreements with internet service providers to be the fastest video service. They should be allowed to do that. That lets a smaller business have a leg up. And, you know, YouTube's not going to do that. They're not going to spend the money for a 13-year-old kid to have the speediest music videos. But maybe if you want your company to be presented in the best light, you want the option of a premium service that lets things pop up instantaneously. That doesn't hurt small business because when you're growing, right, you want to save money where you can. And you can still be on the Internet. Right. And you can still have a, that, a smaller budget that goes towards that. And as you grow, you can start to spend more money to get faster and get in front of people. But it doesn't hurt you starting out. Choice is good. Right now, I, I sort of drew a parallel between what's happening now where they're basically saying, OK, you're not allowed to pick. You know, people can't do deals with Internet service providers. The parallel that I see is actually to the healthcare problem that we have right now. Whereas, you know, sure, now you have to have this great plan with all these features, whether you can afford it or not, and whether you need it or not. And what happens is a lot of people get left behind because they just can't afford this great plan that's equality for everyone. And, and right now, you know, you're not able to buy internet. What if you could buy internet that's gigabit speed, but it doesn't include video? It doesn't include 4K video, and it's $20 a month instead of 200 why can't that be an option? Right now, under net neutrality, you're not allowed to break things out a la carte. So it's a, it's basically like forcing you to buy a cable package. If you hate sports, you have to buy ESPN no matter what. That, that Everybody hates that. Why do we need that with our internet? You could argue, I mean, that's the same thing as healthcare, right? Like, why do, we, as a man, why do I need maternity care, right? But you you force these people into these things, and that would be an amazing thing if you could parse out what you want to purchase that best fits your needs. And again, government regulation doesn't let you do it. And I was reading a Forbes article and I love the way that this guy put the analogy. It's kind of cheesy, but he said, this is a bad idea for the same reason that only having vanilla ice cream for sale is a bad idea. Some people want and are willing to pay for, like you mentioned, John, Something different. Forcing a one-size-fits-all solution on the internet stifles innovation by blocking some companies from turning new ideas or business models into successful products. And that basically sums up what you were saying is that if I want to buy 20 gigs a month, but I can't have access to 4K video, why? Why can't I do that? A lot of people will pay for a service that's a premium and it's what they want if it's important to them, especially people that work online. For example, with myself being in music, I send huge files. I'd pay for a gigabit all day long if they had it here. It's right up the road. Just waiting. Google, if you're listening, bring it on down. It's almost there. So close. But 
And then that, that would do what? That would make you more efficient? Yeah, I could be more productive. Sometimes I have to leave my computer on. I mean, if I'm sending a whole record to somebody, it could be easily 12, 13 hours, and I just have to pray that my internet doesn't blip in the middle of it. And when you're doing video work, you have to wait for it to render. And Yeah, we won't even go into the video work thing. That can be days of transferring, even on my connection. But uh, once again, I think what this just boils down to is that regulation is not helping things. And, and really, the best situation would be if we could pull the government out of the internet business entirely, let the cities own their telephone poles, let them lease space to individual companies. This is not groundbreaking stuff, but it's easy. Imagine if you had seven choices. We're fortunate here in Nashville. We've got Google Fiber. We have AT&T. We have... Uh, TDS. Yeah, and if you want to get Comcast. crazy, you can get satellite. And, and what? Ha- guess what happened when Google Fiber rolled into town? Everybody's prices went in half. They're not even out everywhere yet, but it was a huge benefit to the consumer. Nothing changed. It's just all of a sudden Comcast had to compete, and that's a win for everybody. Back to what you said about choices, you know, again, from this for, from this Forbes article, um, he mentions that everybody benefits from a large variety of cars, right? But just because some people can't afford some models doesn't mean that we should stop or we shouldn't allow that to be for sale, right? If you can't afford, you know, 100 gigs a month doesn't mean that somebody else shouldn't be able to purchase it. Absolutely. And another thing that's kind of cool is if you have you been down to Florida very much lately? I have. They're express lanes. So cool. You know, that's basically paid for by the people that want to use those express lanes. Traffic's gridlocked. You know what? All of a sudden, you've got a little device in your car. You can pull over. Ten bucks, you skip an hour of traffic. Yeah, you got a sun pass or uh, yeah, you know, whatever they call Yeah, and you know them. what? Everybody else isn't paying for it. The people that use it are paying for it. But you have the option, and that's beautiful. And that's really, I think, what we're advocating for here. It's a little bit murky once again, but anytime we can reduce government incursion into things and create more freedom, I'm on board. So, Charlie, I think you had one more thing in the stack for today, just to kind of end things on a little bit of a lighter note. Yeah, I want to talk about, uh, there's this article I ran across in doing this research, I don't know how, but somehow Sarah Silverman popped up. Thank you, Google. On Yahoo. Oh, wait. What year is this? I know. You use Yahoo? I use everything, John. You've got to go to all the sources so you can understand full the full Party picture. like it's 1998. <laughs> hey, look. I, I read a story one time. This kid created this news article or this news app and ended up getting like millions of downloads. And Yahoo gave this like 14-year-old kid a $5 million check to buy his news app. Do you remember Alta Vista with the dog? No. Father time right here. What about uh, Ask Jeeves? Do you remember that? I remember Ask Jeeves. I do. Now it's ask.com. They've gotten rid of the Jeeves and nobody goes there. No. But anyway, sorry. Well, somehow MSM is still like, is like the largest site or something like that because it's like the default for Windows Explorer. When you open it up, it goes straight to MSM. Maybe the Department of Justice needs to investigate that for antitrust just, right. just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> so what's the last so story came, you got for us? Yeah, I came across this article, um, and it, the title of it was uh, "Sarah Silverman Falls in Love with Trump Voters." And if you so, if, for those of you that don't know, Sarah Silverman was a pretty big Bernie Sanders supporter 
Um, you could say that she's on the progressive side of things. She she believes that more government is the answer. And of course, here we believe that more government is not the answer. Um, but what I want to say about this is that we as humans all want the same things. We all want, for the most part, there are evil people out there, but for most human beings want what's best for other human beings. And I found this article so striking because Sarah Silverman is coming out with a, uh, I think a book and all kinds of other things, uh, from her little tour that she's been doing, going out and purposefully meeting Trump voters, Trump voters. And what she said is when you're one-on-one with someone who doesn't agree with you or whose ideology is different than yours, when you're face to face, your porcupine needles go down. The surprise was I fell in love with them. I had a great time with them and I felt comfortable. And what she's saying is basically what she's saying to put some words into her mouth is that careful Trump voters aren't evil people. Hillary Clinton voters aren't evil people. Bernie Sanders supporters weren't evil people. When you go and you actually talk to somebody and you have a conversation with them, as much as you can disagree with them ideologically, you find out that their heart is kind of in the same place. I don't believe that most people intend to cause other people harm with the ideology that they believe in, be it socialism or communism or free market or anything like that. We all kind of want the same thing. And I think this is a beautiful thing. And isn't that that funny how that works? It's like, you know, everyone's sort of a paper tiger on the internet. We fight for what we believe in. We'll say things that we would never say to each other in person just out of decency. And and honestly, Donald Trump is kind of an example of that. I mean, his whole, and it works great. His whole shtick is sort of dehumanizing people, turning them into a caricature. And I think what you're saying that's really cool is that she sort of realized the caricature isn't real. And also what I want to portray is that here at the big freedom show, we don't, it's not an us versus them. There is no us versus them. It's we're all humans and we all want what's best for each other. And just because we have different ideas doesn't mean that, that you're a bad person or that you're a racist or, you know, you voted as much as I disagree with Trump. I don't believe the majority of people that voted for him are bad people. Not at all. Or the majority of people that voted for Clinton are bad people. I really don't. And, you know, even Milton Friedman said that that we should always judge policy based on the history, not their intention. Because when you look at a lot of at a lot of policy that may not even be good, I think the intention was still there to be good for people. We want everybody to have an amazing cake. Different people have different recipes. Ours is a different prescription than others. And we want you to eat it, too. (laughs) You're going to love this big freedom cake. Maybe that's something we should sell. Yes. I'm not good at baking. I'm not good at baking. Can Katie bake cakes? She's fantastic. (laughs) Get yourself a Katie baked Big Freedom Show cake. (laughs) That was my best uh, radio ad voice there. And she's going to kill me later. (laughs) She's, uh, She's our most vocal critic. But anyway. Well, that's all the time we have this week for the Big Freedom Show. Guys, again, thanks for listening. And would you please share the show with someone? Tell someone you love. 
Hit us up at info at thebigfreedomshow.com. Let us know what you loved, what you hated, and what we should probably never say again. And we read those, and we take them into consideration because we care. We also take suggestions for the bourbon of the week. If there's something that's delightful, if you suggest larceny bourbon, we will not listen to you. Otherwise, let us know. All right, guys. Thanks again. Join us next week as we dive into Episode 9. And happy Thanksgiving. Take care.